Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 273. Today is September 26, 2018. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder money manager at investablewealth.com. We're already in the fall. The year is almost over. I hope you're meeting your goals and objectives and making the improvements and advances that you had planned to do this year because you're running out of time. December is just right around the corner. Well, today I have an interesting topic, and this is something that a lot of you have asked about, and that's marijuana and cannabis stocks. If you've been watching that market, you've seen over the last month or so, there's been an explosive growth in the stock price and the IPOs that are coming out of that field. We'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do, though, I want to comment on where the market is, and I also want to throw out an idea to you that that just recently came up, and, and I mean just like a minute ago. I got a text from a friend, and so I want to throw an idea out to you, but even before we get to that, let's talk about the market. Today, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates another 25 basis points. That's the third time they've done it this year. There's a lot of speculation that they'll raise one more time in December and then three times next year. Personally, I think we're getting a little towards the upper end of where the Fed funds rate should be. So I'm a little bit skeptical that we are going to see another increase before the end of this year. But who knows? It really is all going to depend on how strong the economy is. And that's a good way to look at this. A lot of people are looking at this as a glass half full. That's the way those people are. They're always looking for the negativity. The simple fact that interest rates are going up means that the economy is strong and can support it. Now, obviously, there is a fear about an inverted yield curve. That's a sure sign of recession. It's the way that the Federal Reserve takes away the punch bowl and ruins every economy that they feel has gotten overheated. But we don't necessarily know if that'll happen this time. And it's not that this time is different. It's just that, number one, the yield curve hasn't inverted yet. And number two, even if it does, it's really going to get down to where real interest rates are, not nominal interest rates, but real interest rates. And thirdly, it's really going to determine on where inflation is. If you look at the amount of central bank funny money that's floating around the global system, it's something like in excess of $12 trillion. That's the central bank money that's been poured into this economy over the last decade to keep things afloat. That's roughly the size of an economy like China, you know, the second largest economy in the entire world. We're talking about that volume of money is floating around on central bank balance sheets. That not only has drastically distorted the investing landscape over the last decade, but the distortion continues into the future. And so when we look at traditional models of what rising interest rates and what inverted yield curves have meant in the past, It may not mean that going forward because the prism of $12 trillion central bank money might just be totally changing the equation. Now, I'm not trying to tell you I have all the answers here. I'm simply trying to tell you that irregardless of how confident people may seem with their projections and forecasts and prognostications, you need to take all that with a grain of salt because we are in uncharted territories We've never seen the unwinding of such large central bank balance sheets in the history of mankind. And so while it's likely that a lot of things can go wrong and it probably will end badly, we don't know for sure that it will, nor do we know when it'll happen. So what do we do? Well, we ignore the hype. We ignore the chicken little prognosticators, all the people that 
six months ago claimed that we were going to have a 25% pullback or there was going to be some type of an economic collapse or whatever gloom and doom they were trying to sell. None of that happened. Those are the same people now that are telling us that because U.S. markets are back to record highs, that it's all going to fall apart again. Those people were wrong six months ago. I suspect that over the near term, they're going to be wrong again. We got a big hurdle to get through coming up with the midterm elections. But overall, and irregardless of what kind of leadership or lack thereof we have in Washington, D.C., the undisputed fact is that corporate profits remain strong, and that's especially in the United States, but even across the globe. With commodity prices as high as they are, these emerging markets that are involved in extraction-type economies are making money hand over fist with their export of things like oil and copper and iron ore. And for the near term, that doesn't look like it's changing. And so while I wouldn't be adding new money into the U.S. markets, for now I'm holding my positions. And then when it comes to my emerging market positions and my foreign stock holdings, those are continuing to improve. They haven't performed the way I wanted them to this year. But you know I've been buying the dips. I'm holding those positions. And it looks like a bottom may finally have been in. But there's risk involved. We don't know what's going to come out of a tweet from the White House, nor can we have any idea of exactly what's going to happen coming out of China. But when you drill down and you look at the numbers, profits still look strong. And I have to believe when you strip away all the saber rattling and all the posturing, the bottom line is that products are still flowing across the international borders. And that really doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Now, hey, what about that special announcement or that idea or suggestion that just came up? Well, just a few minutes ago, as I was getting ready to record this podcast, I received a text from a friend of mine, and we started throwing around the idea of possibly having a well-setting meetup early next year. This would be sometime around February or March, and it would take place down in Arizona, which has a pretty good climate that time of the year. Now, there's no details or particulars involved with this, but I just want to throw out the idea this would be an event that would take place over the weekend. It would be a boondocking type camp out where we'd meet on property that's, you know, three or four acres. I haven't even vaguely thought of the details, but kind of what's in my mind is that it'd be one of those things where we get together on, say, a Friday evening. We have a bonfire. We socialize. On Saturday, there's a couple presentations. I obviously would talk about wealth building and investing, maybe looking at setting up the retirement portfolio for 2019, talking about those type subjects. My friends are experts in a couple areas, and one of those topics is dog handling. And for me, that's a really interesting topic because over these last five years, I've become super attached to my dog, and I think owning a pet is an amazing, wonderful thing. And as I see more of the relationship of how you train a dog and how that animal responds to you and how you imprint with them, I think those are skills and things that are important to understand, not only as it relates to animals, but also how we relate to other people and really what a beneficial and calming effect having something like a dog is in your life. And so we'd have some presentations, talk about those kind of things on Saturday. Not really a formal, hardcore workshop, but definitely some hands-on presentations and really just a lot of socializing. Then, hey, Saturday night we throw another bonfire and, and we get out of there on Sunday. Now, I'm just throwing this out as a possible idea. I mean, I don't even know if we can put this together with my friend's property and everything that would it entail. But I know over the years, a lot of you have asked why I don't have formal meetups or workshops and things like that. And, you know, it just never was the right time. 
but I know I will definitely be in Arizona during that time frame, you know, 2019, February, March time frame. And that's a great time to be in Arizona. So let me know, would you be interested in a boondocking event? And specifically, would you be interested in coming into Arizona that time of the year? Who knows, my friend and I will probably get together and do it anyways, even if him and I are the only two that show up. Well, hey, let's get on to the main topic. And that topic is drugs. And I don't want to really talk about this craze that's going on with marijuana and cannabis. I want to talk to you about the real hardcore drug. I'm talking Coke. Oh, no, not cocaine. I mean Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola founded well over 100 years ago, probably closer to 150 years ago. It's a product and a brand that's recognized all over the globe. In fact, it is one of the most iconic brands ever invented, and virtually everybody in the world can identify its logo. I call it a drug because it is a drug. It's addictive, and it's bad for your health. I think one of the major reasons we have such an epidemic of obesity and diseases like diabetes are specifically because people drink too many soft drinks. And these are not just people in the United States. This is a global problem. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, all these associated carbonated type drinks, they're horrible for your health, but they don't get banned or they're not made illegal because there's too much money to be made in them. Money not only by the individual companies, but money by the farmers that grow the corn that makes the corn syrup sugar that goes in these products. The whole global supply chain is invested in selling you and your kids these horrible drinks. Now, to some degree, because people have wised up a little bit to the deleterious effects of these soft drink products, their sales have been going down. And that's why over the years, you've seen companies like Coca-Cola try and migrate and expand their product lines into other things, things like water or healthier drinks, And Coca-Cola has varying degrees of success to this. I think they haven't effectively put as much money into marketing non-soft drinks because they were worried about the, the cannibalization effect of their core product, which is these carbonated drinks. But, you know, they own things like Minute Maid, so they've made advances or try to get into different energy drink markets and and the health market, but we're really seeing them come on strong here lately. And I think it's because they definitely know that they need to do something to enhance their business because that core carbonated soft drink business is really stagnant. And so what are they doing to step up their game? Well, just this month, we saw them invest $5 billion into a coffee business And I think that's probably a good move for them, though I'm not sure why they weren't more aggressive getting into the coffee business even, say, 10 years ago. I think right now we're seeing the coffee business taper off in the U.S. when it comes to the oversaturation of companies like Starbucks. And so maybe with the more commoditization of higher-priced products, Coke thinks it's time now to move into that coffee business because perhaps now is the time for them to mass-produce a product that wouldn't be as necessarily perceived as high as maybe a Starbucks or a custom quality coffee house, but at the same time would be at a very nice price point that offers them significant profits. But once again, what are they moving into? Well, they're moving into a caffeinated, another form of a, of a liquid drug drink. And then the other thing that has come out this month is that it's been revealed that Coke is looking at ways that they can incorporate components of cannabis into their drinks. Now, we're not talking about the psychotropic effects of something like THC and and potter and marijuana, but they're looking at more of the oils and the other derivatives that can come out of the cannabis industry that can be used as more of a herbal remedy. So things to either pick you up or to relax you or things that may help you with aches and pains. 
but that are not categorized under prescription drugs. So these would be things that can easily be sold over the counter. And the real attempt here is to re-energize this old dinosaur of a carbonated business that they have. And I really think it's going to work. I think this is just the type of hype and promotion that they need to put more excitement and re-energize their brand. And this is not something that you're going to see limited to just Coca-Cola. And, and again, this is why I remain positive and optimistic in the overall growth of the economy, because there are infinite ways for companies to grow and reposition and increase sales in their product line as long as they look at innovative ways to do things. So there's no end in sight to where profits on the S&P 500 can go, provided that you get the right management in there. And that's why the entrepreneurial spirit is so important. You know, without a Steve Jobs, without a Jeff Bezos, you don't have these amazing companies. Now, why I bring Coca-Cola up and I talk about it as a drug is because if I were going to invest in the cannabis industry or in marijuana, I would be looking towards companies like Coca-Cola or companies like Estee Lauder. Yeah, these consumer product companies that are old stodgy companies that know how to make a profit, that pay a solid dividend, that have brand recognition, that have an immense, huge, loyal customer base. And these same companies can re-energize and revitalize and put a new spin on their products by introducing simple and low-cost ingredients that will come from the cannabis industry. So no, I don't want to put my money on some risky startup marijuana company. And it's not that I don't think that there's going to be success in that industry, specifically with the growers and those developers. It's just too risky. It's like Facebook or MySpace. You knew that social media was going to be big. You just didn't know who the winner was going to be. And it's the same way with marijuana stocks. And right now you're seeing them break out in hockey stick parabolic moves all based on hype. None of it's based on sales or earnings or the potential for future sales or earnings. Most of these companies, if not all of them, are headquartered in Canada. And that competitive advantage for being located in Canada is going to go away when it becomes legalized in the United States. And there's no doubt in my mind that medical marijuana and the legalization of the oils that are non-psychogenic that are derived from, from cannabis, they're all going to be legal here in the United States and all 50 states in short order. Now, straight up 100% delegalization of marijuana for recreational use, I don't think that's going to happen overnight. But in terms of the oils and the prescription-based marijuana, that is going to happen in short order. And so how do I think it's best to harvest those kind of profits? Well, I think it's looking at these old, established, and well-entrenched consumer product companies that can integrate some type of cannabis derivative into their existing potions and lotions. And that takes us back to companies like Coca-Cola or Estee Lauder. Once these things are legalized in the United States, you're going to see a gravy train of products coming out with all types of promises of health and longevity and lifestyle. I mean, all the kind of advertisements you're going to see at a typical herbal store or GNC store. Well, that's going to be packed into these standard consumer products like cosmetics, like soft drinks, like over-the-counter pain relievers. They're going to tell you yet again some miraculous reason why these products are so great because now they contain some element of cannabis. Will it work? Will it actually make you look younger or make you feel better? Probably not, but it's all about the marketing. That's where the money comes down to. And so when it comes to me, if I were gonna invest in the cannabis market, if I was gonna invest in marijuana, no, it wouldn't be putting my money into some Canadian company that grows pot. I'd be looking at Coca-Cola or Estee Lauder. 
Now, right now, I don't think either of those stocks are good buying points, so I don't own them now, nor do I have any plans in the immediate future to buy them, but I am keeping my eyes on this industry, and once again, the entry points to get into these particular stocks would have been great about six months ago when all the gloom and doomers were telling you the economy was going to collapse. No, that's a time you should have been buying Coca-Cola and Estee Lauder.